0: Oh, and welcome to Courage to Be, a podcast on becoming. This is episode number 20. We actually hit number 20, Steve. How about that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, makes um, me feel good.
0: Yeah. it's It's been a little while since we've recorded just a, a standard podcast, but Steve and I decided we wanted to go ahead and do an episode um, after the passing of Thich Nhat Hanh. He's somebody that was very impactful to me, and, and i even talking with Steve as well. Um, so it seems important to kind of Hold space for this. Yeah,
1: we we kind of have to.
0: Yeah, um, very influential for me. Probably one of the more influential um, teachers, people that I've read or listened to. Um, I think to start. Uh, why don't we? You said you had something you wanted to, to read to start. Or did you have some, or do we want to start with the uh, just introduction to our exposure to Thich Nhat Han?
1: Yeah. Why don't we do the introduction uh, and this poem that he wrote? Uh, has special significance for me as both a uh, in, indigenous person, man of color, and then also uh, it's just one of those things that I've kind of lived with. So I'll set that up and then read from it, and then uh, I'll turn that over to you.
0: Well, uh, are you going to talk about your introduction, like how you found Thich Nhat Hanh?
1: Well, I um, came to Buddhism uh, as I think like many people do through meditation, and uh, I'm a pretty and, you know, avid reader. And my first round of Thich Nhat Hanh, I can't remember which text, there's an older one called Zen Keys, which is, he can be, I think he's given so much access to mindfulness and Buddhism, um, but he can also, uh, and he's actually, articles on him, stories about him, mention that he made mindfulness accessible to the West. And I think he does that by making it very uh, digestible and understandable and accessible. and But I started out reading some poems, I believe, but then I got, I think my very first book was a book called Zen Keys, very philosophical, very metaphysical, and um, I've come to appreciate it later. But at the time, it was like, what is this all about? Then he he's done a lot of work on anger and, you know, coming where I come from, I think people who listen to us know know a little bit about where I come from, you know, um, combative neighborhoods and such, uh, ha- had a lot of anger. And as a person of color didn't even understand prejudice or prejudicial treatment. And so but in coming together as an under an undergraduate, putting my identity together and starting to understand who I was as a person and a person of color, a man of color, I went back and 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 found a lot of uh a lot of guidance and solace in his writings a little bit later on i went to kind of a dark time in in my 20s and uh trying to figure out you know a lot of historical trauma stuff family stuff my new identity in academia Uh, and so it was just there was just a point where i was i think like many of us i just want a better way to cope and so i began to reread and uh, i'm old so there wasn't any youtube or anything like that but I picked him up again and this poem to me is it illustrates one of his most profound teachings around inter interbeing. He coined the term inter R to, to speak to just how everything is interconnected and we're really a part of everything. But uh this poem is called Please Call Me by My True Names. And later on I began to read about what went into this um uh, him doing this. But I'll just read the poem right now, and uh, we can talk about it later. Uh, but that's a big concept for him, uh, how everything is a part of everything else. And the thing that really helps me in this, this this poem, maybe, it's probably just me, it doesn't shy away from uh, how we're a part of, you know, pro-con. There's no binary. I mean, things that that are maybe dark in the world, uh, we're there too. As long as Uh, also along with being there when things are light and trouble-free. So this is Please Call Me by My True Names, plural. And it goes, Do not say that I'll depart tomorrow, because even today I still arrive. Look deeply. I arrive in every second to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with wings still fragile, learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, in order to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river. I am the bird which, when spring comes, arrives in time to eat the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in the clear pond, and I am also the grass snake approaching in silence who feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs are as as thin as bamboo sticks, and I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I'm the 12-year-old girl, refugee on a small boat, who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I'm the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I'm a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands. I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people, dying slowly in a forced labor camp." My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom in all walks of life. My pain is like a river of tears, so full it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names, so I can hear all of my cries and laughs at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names, so I can wake up, and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. Oh, I get chills in certain parts of that even now.
0: So what, is, what does that bring up for you?
1: I, I think for me, it gives a poetic articulation of the thread to everything. And personally, uh, the things that uh, the oppressed go through, and both personally and in my work, that I've seen occur, that are going on right now, th- there's kind of a sheen of denial and uh, this, uh, in our culture, and this speaks to that. And then it also talks about, you know, the joy, the laughter, the birth that resides along that. I, I read a uh, teaching right before Thich Nhat Hanh died on um, charnel ground. And it was uh, Shogyam trumpa Rinpoche, and he was quoted as saying, you know, charnel ground uh, in, in older Eastern cultures were where you just took bodies, right? We've talked about this, I think. Uh, when there was a death, you took the bodies uh, of usually the poor or underclass and you, just, you left them there for, you know, vultures and mountain lions or whatever to, to basically devour them. And so he would take his students to charnel grounds and have them meditate because he said, right here is the birth of life, Um uh, the process of life and death side by side. So uh, this poem embodies that, which I, th- I think is a reality and one that I strive to stay connected to.
0: You know, and this is, today's the first time I've heard that poem. And, and to my mind, you know, it makes me think of that interconnected that, that we all, that we are in everything, right? These things that are seen as bad, like you know, yeah. the Communist Party, the, the, the word I'm going to try to pronounce or the, the pirates or whatever. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, and it actually puts me in the mind of a podcast I was listening to this morning by Jack Kornfield. Oh. Um, I've been on a Jack Cornfield kick lately. Yeah, me um, too. Me too. Really? Yeah, I, good I stuff. know that. Well- Yeah, he's got a great podcast, I think, called The Heart of Wisdom. Yep. Um, <laughs> the Heart Wisdom Podcast. Yeah, great. Um, but it was, you know, the idea was that whenever you have the intersection of- um, love meeting sorrow, you find compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if I think about, you know, when I was reading over some Thich Han over the last couple of days, you know, talking about without under, you can't have love without understanding. Mm -hmm. You know, you can kind of bridge these concepts and that, you know, when we we realize that we are all um, part of the same thing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, We can develop understanding and love and compassion um, because we're all on this, kind of process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he was famous for uh, his books on love, Thich Han Hanh, uh, to say you have to have deep understanding and presence to really love someone, and you also have to have the time for it. You know, and, and just to, to be able to say, I'm here for you is, is a huge gift to connect and be in that us place uh, where you where you enter are as a couple uh, or a community. But uh, yeah, and this is uh, the whole concept of charnel ground blew me away. And it's like, oh, so some of this yucky stuff is a part of it, and I should just accept it, and you know, don't run from it, don't deny it, because the birth of happiness, you know, overcoming adversity, joy uh, is nested in there at the same time. It's the dialectical, not a binary, good, bad, good, bad. which
0: one well, the idea that the seed for, you know, joy is in sorrow. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. you know, it's it's there already. It just needs time to to grow. It's a really impactful poem. So one of the things in the podcast I was listening to today, he gave an example that I just thought was brilliant. And it was a rabbi who would always give these teachings and talking about how you know, you know, we'll place these teachings on your heart. And the student asked, and I'm totally ripping us off from Jack Ford Cornfield. So go go listen to his podcast. I'm citing my source. Um, but you know, the the student asked, you know, why are you putting these teachings on my heart instead of in my heart? And, and what the rabbi said was, is that, you know, only God could put something in your heart. Um, the best we can do is put it on your heart and hope that when your heart breaks, some of it comes in through the cracks, um, which I just thought is a beautiful metaphor and so a- applicable to, you know, when we have moments of crisis, we tend to turn towards healing. You know, we turn and we tend to turn towards the spiritual if we're oriented in that way. And so with that in mind, um, my exposure to Thich Han came through a period of suffering and, and pain. It was at the beginning of what I would say is probably the darkest period of my life I've had in my life to, the, to date, right? And so there are plenty of cracks that this could certainly seep in through, and it did. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but my first exposure was in a book uh, called The Heart of the Buddhist Teaching, which was funny, you and I were in Tulsa and we stopped by this bookstore. It was a, like this, like uh, kind of hippy dippy bookstore above, like a shop that sold like mala beads and crystals. Yeah, and peace expense. of mind. And,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Really cool store, and we were talking and we were in there. And I'm like, OK, I'm kind of interested in Buddhism. What would you recommend? And he handed me a few books and then you pulled this one out. and You're like, OK, put these other ones back. You got to get this one. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I did. And what's funny is I actually bought a couple of the other ones and I still haven't read them yet, um, but I absolutely did read this one, um, you know, and, and so that really kind of got me started. And, and, and I even had some po- folks that were really close to me um kind of be skeptical and like, yeah, you're not gonna do this Buddhist thing. This is nonsense. Um, and, and it turns out they were not correct. Um, but um, you know, the but then I didn't even finish that book um initially and 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 I picked up a, a book called No Mud, No Lotus, uh-huh. which is, you know, probably the one of the most impactful books that I've read in the last five years. Um in terms of just really kind of impacting how I experience things. And so, of course, as you're going through great suffering and you read a book on how to handle suffering, uh, it can be very useful. And, and it was. Um, and it's one that I've actually had multiple clients read over the last few years, and it's been very helpful to them as well. Um, and then the, uh, the other shore, which is his retranslation and reinterpretation of the Heart Sutra, um, which is dense. Wow. Um, I really struggle to understand that. Um, And it took me reading it a few times to kind of get it where it felt like I got it. Uh, But those three things, um, and really the idea of interconnectedness and the idea of with understanding, we can have compassion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, really has been transformational in terms of uh, kind of the way I interact and and the way that I see things. And there have been some really, you know, things that have occurred in my life where people are like, Surprised by the way I'm acting in terms of not being angry about things or whatever, or not being as reactive as I once would have been, and it's directly tied to YouTube videos of Thich Nhat Han, to these books, to kind of the path that was started um, by by reading. And so um, I, I do feel a lot of sorrow over his passing, and I knew it was coming. He's had a stroke; he was having ill health, um, and I'm also very aware that that is in my own kind of. Attachment and craving, you know. As I, I, you know, with him being gone, then his teachings no longer can be. There could be no new teachings, right? And so there's a party that's like, oh, I want more, I want more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. But that is very much mine. Um, but also, I, uh, you know, in his readings, you find a way to to understand death a little bit differently, too. Oh, yeah. And and to kind of have a different relationship with it, and so I feel a peace about it. Um and some sadness. Yeah. But uh, anyway, that's kind of a long-winded. Oh. Hopefully I didn't give too much personal detail no. there. But um
1: <laughs> well, you know, you know, yeah, I remember when you read um the translation of the heart sutra, you and I either phone or maybe per- person 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 I can't remember, you said you I think you called me up and you said this I get it now. this this gets it. Gets at it and uh, I read it And I'm like, I wish I'd have came on this a lot. (laughs) I mean, he did (laughs) such a good job of uh, transmitting to a broad group of us Westerners, you know, how those basic mechanics work. And uh, I've read that, uh, I can't remember the title, but the one on the Heart Sutra. Well, I had an old version where he did something on it. Then I got the one you you mentioned, and it just scales fell from the eyes. It's like, oh, this is how it is, you know? And I, I was a little... I love him because he just says whatever he discerns. And in that situation, I kind of freaked out because he was actually saying, uh, the author should have said this. And I was like, Oh no, Oh no, you're going to get, we're all going to get struck down for that. But it's true (laughs) in the context of Mm -hmm. when that was written and taught, I should say, uh, he had an alternative, uh, that just seriously, it was like, Oh my God, this is, this is it. And, yeah, his work has just meant so much to me, and I too, in talking to all kinds of folks about his passing, and I, you know, I got texts and 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 you know whatever uh, electronic. Uh, took not just passed, and it took on a sad, you know, you know, tear emojis and crying emoji, and I couldn't help but say, the sadness is a part of him not being in this realm with us, but death for Buddhists, well. Most Buddhists can't say all, but is about a passing, is about a, is a migration, and uh, there's this concept we I hope we'll go into one day called the bardo's and where you move into these different states of uh, travel, and uh, so we did a service at Tambao Sunday to basically wish him well and connect with him, and so we restructured the whole uh, Dharma service around that, uh, and had we brought offerings and. You know, picture, uh, which is traditional, and many people. You gave flowers. I, I brought flowers in. Other people gave food, and because it's helping the migration of his of him, and he'll manifest elsewhere. But I think the immediate thing was to be sad because he's not in our realm, and that hit and I, I always say that hits me in the chest, and uh, it did when I first heard it.
0: It's interesting. I don't typically have a strong reaction when a celebrity. Dies And I think that, you know, he probably hits celebrity status in terms of, you know, like the regard that he gets because of all the books he's written and all the talks that he's done and things like that. But I typically, when when folks die, I don't have a really strong reaction one way or the other, yeah. unless it's somebody I know, yeah. right? Um, But but this is one where, yeah. where I did have a strong like, whoa, I'm having a reaction to this. Yeah. I need to take a moment. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, they did call him the... Uh, in, in my research for the presentation Sunday, there were a couple of people that called him Hollywood, Hollywood status or, or superstar monk. <laughs> but, I mean, he did over 70 books, I think. And he just had such a huge impact on uh, – and, and he was named in some biographies or you know write-ups about his death as the person who made mindfulness accessible to the West. You know, and he did all that while he was exiled. I mean, he, you know, I don't know how our audience knows about, you know, him being driven out of Vietnam and
0: uh, well, and he came over to advocate during that time as well. Yeah, during the war. Yeah,
1: and he did a lot of. He is an engaged Buddhist. He's what my uh, one Buddhist mentor would say. Uh, he's an embodiment of engaged Buddhism. He does it. He shows you the path of how to be uh, engaged and resist pa- passive. Uh, in passivity and yeah, MLK nominated him for the Nobel peace prize because of, you know, his, uh, social justice work. Just, just an unbelievable person.
0: You know, talking about this concept of, you know, the, the impact he's had on us and, and, and interbeing, you know, I, I do have a section I want to just quickly read. It's short, sure. um, from the other shore, which is his retranslation oh, of the heart. Sutra. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, also I think the heart suture is the, um, like the, my first exposure to, uh, the Heart Sutra was a, t- a temple um, whenever the uh the first time I ever went, it was actually that weekend, mm. <laughs> funny enough. You know, that's something that was recited as part of the, the ceremony, just in general, <laughs> right? The, the Prana, uh, uh. I'm going to mispronounce it, Prana Paramita. How, how do you pronounce that? The Prajna. Did I say that? Prajna. Thank you. Prajna Paramita. So the quote is in the section on, it's called Chapter 6, The Happy Con- contui- uh, Continuation. See, I just can't pronounce anything. Um, And uh, the section is uh, where he's talking about contemplating a leaf in autumn. So that autumn day, I asked the leaf whether it was afraid to fall, since it was autumn and the other leaves were falling. The leaf told me no. During the whole spring and summer, I was very alive. I worked hard and helped nourish the tree, and much of me is in the tree. Please do not think that I am just this form. Because the leaf form is only a tiny part of me. I am the whole tree. I know that I am already inside the tree, and when I go back to the soil, I will continue to nourish the tree. That is why I do not worry. As I drop from the branch and float to the ground, I will wave to the tree and tell her, I will see you again very soon. And if we look at that concept of nothing created, nothing destroyed, that, that things are energy, um, we can know that while we pass from this realm that we will be manifest in some other form at some point. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Whether that's through the traditional understanding of reincarnation or whether that's just matter being made into new matter. Um, you know, we can have differences of opinions, whether we take a secular view or a Buddhist view, you know, or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, you know, that I have to find some comfort in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well now, yeah, that, that's, that's the embodiment thing. I mean, you're reading that poem, me pulling mine back up. It's just, it's, it softens, you know? I mean, that, that I'm emotional now when you read that. And um, there were tears at Temple Sunday and some mine, but I had to be careful because I was <laughs> the one doing the pre- present.
0: But now, How dare you tear up when you're presenting?
1: Well, but you know what'll happen, <laughs> right? I won't get anything out, but uh, I told people, you know, that that's what was going on. But now you're making me want to read something called The Lotus in a Sea of Fire. I hope this, you can ask me how or why, but, and I didn't plan on this, but.
0: Yeah, you're going rogue here. But, yeah. All right. Okay. Dangerous. I'll, I'll walk the path with you. All
1: right. Well, it's another thing he, <laughs> that I have to say, what I got from him and what other people commented on was that he, he really cautioned against, you know, mindfulness as a tool to get somewhere else. He he emphasized a path you get upon, and you're going to be on that path. And not like an, a, other Buddhists, but he he really did, uh, uh, again, bring that to the West. But Lotus in a Sea of Fire, and this is from, I, I don't know where I got this. I started
0: throwing everything together. Is that like the Johnny Cash song? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it would be, it'd be a good
0: yeah, one. Sorry.
1: Um, Since his time as a leading figure in the Buddhist peace movement in the 1960s, Thich Nhat Hanh has insisted there is no such thing as a war for peace. Peace begins with stopping the bombing. He emphasized the importance of not taking sides in the conflict in Vietnam. He often taught that the real enemy of humanity is not humanity, the real enemy is our ignorance, discrimination, fear. Craving and violence. Peace is not simply the absence of violence. It is the cultivation of understanding, insight, compassion, combined with action. And that reminds me of of my social justice and, and days. And I mean, it's still inside, but I mean, did a lot of act, activistic kinds of things. And uh, I'm sad because this this wasn't that wasn't in into my heart. I mean, I knew about these uh, teachings, but, you know, as a a mentor told me, if you approach something with anger, you're just going to spur more karmic anger and reverberation or whatever you want to call it, but you've got to go after this in terms of trying to understand and alleviate, you know, not, uh, as Bruce Coburn often says, uh, kick the darkness till it bleeds daylight, you know? But uh, So this, that sentiment of we're all interconnected, because if I react in, in the name of righting a wrong, I've just committed a wrong, because I'm reacting to bring more harm. Anyway, I just, his, his uh, emphasis upon that interconnection is then extrapolated to, well, if I aggress, he, he said one, one moment of anger can destroy an entire relationship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I went online and uh, to Plum Village where where his uh, group is, and they covered his uh, uh, his body was laid out. And you know, he he refused after the stroke. I think in 2014, he went back to Plum Village, and he would not take any any medication or any treatment. He just wanted to die as naturally as he could. And I read somewhere that when he had the stroke, they of course did scans and whatnot. And his brain was so non-normative after after I guess a major stroke that it was doing things that it's just like uh, most brains don't do this. This thing is active and it's already like it's already doing Buddhist neural plasticity. But yeah. um, I, I was really impressed with his fortitude to, and he still took visitors up until I think the day or two before he passed. But if you tune into the Plum Village feed, um, it's 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 a peaceful. You know, Buddhists are supposed to have a certain set of things done at their passing, uh, and you can you can see uh, that in the videos there, and you're to be as peaceful and as calm in your leaving this dimension as you can be, and it was just beautiful. It's beautiful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else we need to spend time on with this?
1: No, I just wanted to have this time for us to, as we say, mark it out. Uh, I think, you know, there are multiple references or resources out there. I mean, this man... You know, through his, his mindfulness and his practice, he talked about the classroom as being the second family, how to create nurturing classrooms. He consulted with huge corporate people about how to be more mindful and caring. I just learned so much. He, he gave me so much studying him uh, as he passes to the to the next, next world, I'll say. You know, it would encourage people to initiate deeper study or even maybe initiate study. Uh, of his teachings. Unbelievable.
0: If they were to start somewhere, where would you recommend they start? Probably not the other shore. (laughs) No. (laughs) Uh,
1: There is a, um, it's a a Thich Nhat Hanh reader. It is a, it's a greenish, um, uh, mauve looking cover. And it has come down significantly in price over the years. Uh, And you can't all shop at peace of mind. No, I don't own stock. And peace of mind, but it, uh, <laughs> they had copies for like five fifty, and it's just a sampling of so many. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, he did a great book for those of Christian persuasion called Buddha Christ, and that that's another good one to to see how one can be tolerant and integrate spiritual practice. But that Thich Nhat Hanh reader would be the thing.
0: And that the heart of the Buddhist teaching is kind of an overview of just general Buddhist concepts, like the Eightfold Path, the, the Four Noble Truths, and, and quite a bit of other things as well. Yeah. Um, so if you're trying to get into to that, that could be helpful.
1: Yeah. Not not Zen keys. I'm still trying trying to work my way through that. <laughs> he talks about physics and reality and all that metaphysical stuff.
0: And you know, and I've and I've got a few of his books, and I've read I've read three of them all the way through. There's a few that I've read parts of. Um, because I generally have four or five books I'm reading at a time. Yeah, me too. Um, which is maybe it's an occupational hazard. I don't know. Um <laughs> but the one that's probably been the most impactful in terms of not only impacting me, but impacting people that that are in my world is the the no mud, no lotus. Like if mm, you are going through mm. a period of suffering and pain, there's a lot of beautiful things in that book that, that can really help shift the perspective in, in, in a great way.
1: Yeah, I um I, I agree.
0: If there was going to be one that thing that I've read recently, that that book would be one of the ones that would be like at, towards the top of that list. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: that is a good you know, one. Yeah. Some,
0: the uh, uh, Sharon Salzberg book would be one. This not Tick, Nhat Han. You know, I mean, there's a few others that that would be up there, but that one would be from him. The one I'd recommend.
1: Well, we'll have to talk and conspire on a future podcast on this Jack Cornfield thing. I am just, my life is so enriched. My practice is so. Illuminated by his um, his his teachings, I just there's something about I, maybe for me something about his teaching, you know, mainly by voice podcast or there's a, a audible book I've been working through. Um, but I yeah, he, we should do something with him because he is he is uh, very helpful too. But I'm going to close my part uh, of this tonight uh, with a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh. And someone asked him, how can we have peace in the face of our current climate crisis and collapse of civilization perhaps? And he replied, it's possible for us to do something now. Don't despair, there's something we can all do. There's still a chance, recognize that and do it and you will find peace. And a temple member made a comment as we closed our service Sunday, and she said, "You know, the thing that I get out of this the most is look what one person can do. You know, I mean, look what he did, and just uh, yeah. And th- that that's a that's a hopeful piece of uh, of uh, recognition, I think.
0: Yeah, some really good stuff. I, I'm trying to decide if there's anything else I want to say. Um, you know, that would contribute to this conversation, and I'm kind of coming up blank. Um, I think." I will say that, that a thought that I've had a lot over the last few days came from, you know, I think I might have been exposed to this on the that uh, Jack Cornfield podcast. Um, I'm pretty sure it was from him, not um, from Noah Ruschetta. Um It's all blending together at some point, right? But it was this idea that, you know, life is like a river going over an ocean or going over a, a waterfall. Like all, like when you see a waterfall, it seems like it's just one solid thing. But when you get really close, you can see the individual drops. Mm. And, and that's kind of how life is right like we are all part of one thing and then we go over the edge and we become and individual drops right? right and then at some point we re-merge back into the river again at the bottom right and, yeah. our, and our life is that period of falling from the top of the mountain down to the bottom as individual drops until we can rejoin the river again yeah and and and, and that thought's just been kind of in my mind as far as like you know the the drop of tic han has finished the journey and has now re-entered the stream um just like all of us do at some point
1: i just um i can't stop the talk without recommending his uh video walk with me and it it's about plum village and it goes through just kind of the day and alive or many days in a life of what the world could be like um because you've got hundreds of people at this monastery and they're just living in peace and kindness and it just, I cry, I'm a big ball baby these days. But you watch that thing, it'll bring tears to your eyes if you understand his work and how he created that. I mean, he created communes, Plum Village, and uh, all through uh, mindfulness practice in Buddhism. Walk with me, its it got to see it. Two I'll thumbs up. Both of my Two thumbs, thumbs anyway.
0: On that note, let's go ahead and, and call it a day. I want to thank everybody for listening. I was thinking about this, and I may have made reference to this when when we were recording more frequently. You know, These things kind of ebb and flow for me, and it seems like, Steve, I, I get the sense you're similar in that. And so it's like there's a period of study, and then there's the integration, and part of the integration seems to be the podcast. And then it's kind of like you go back to ground again and start studying again. Um, there's some parallels as far as what we talk about tends to track along with the work I've been doing and the readings I've been doing. Um, you know, as I'm in a period of kind of study again, it seems like the podcast slows down. I don't know. That's been my experience of it. I don't know if that's been your experience Yeah, of it.
1: well, the cornfield thing has become a little obsessive. I mean, there are so many resources out there that at least at least three or four days a week, I'm on it, cornfield study. And it just, did uh, you write, then you meditate, then you... Put together Gotha's little phrases from the teaching, and yeah, I've been heavily, um, heavily into his teaching.
0: Yeah, I mean, for a period it was Thich Nhat Han and Noah Rasheta and 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 Sharon Salzberg and some other places like that, and and then now I'm also digging into some of the shaman, shamanic practices and, and and reading that and going back out again in California yeah. um, for for another for another four day session, which is going to be exciting. Yeah. Um, but I'm finding myself kind of being drawn back into some Buddhist concepts and and, and study again, because there's something in that that I'm not finding in some of the, the shamanic readings. Hmm,
1: that, that that's interesting. To me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And there is some shamanic readings that I think are very powerful. Like uh, the four agreements is a book that has just been oh, yeah. really impactful. Um and we've talked about doing a episode on that and I think we should. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about there's there's interconnected threads. This stuff is, you know, there's there's a lot to it, but my brain is kind of making those connections. Yeah. So it's slowing us down a little bit as I digest.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, I I don't know if I plug for this here, but I will now. And if I did it before, then it's a double emphasis. But and Cornfield says this. Um, That if we take what what the Buddha gave as instructions how to live versus descriptions and like exegesis, uh, it changes everything because you start to apply it and and act on it. And it becomes, uh, anytime you do anything different, it's kind of like behavioral modification. Anytime you do something a few times... Keep doing it. And in time, it becomes something you're not doing, but something that becomes a part of how you do things. So it becomes a part of you. And I, mm-hmm. I think when Cornfield shared that for me about a month and a half ago, I was like, whoa. And he said that was big for him. And to read this as instruction on how to be more at peace and more caring or, you know, whatever. Uh, and that goes back to Thich Nhat Hanh, this isn't a tool to achieve, which that can actually sabotage your meditative practice, you know, trying to have a good, there's no such thing as a good and bad meditation, right? But we do that all the mm-hmm. time. So uh, remember cornfield. you know, uh, take it as a, a teaching and an instruction uh, when you do sit down with your Thich Nhat Hanh.
0: And, it, and it's interesting too, because sometimes this stuff will surprise you. I actually had a moment today. Um, that, that, uh, was interesting. There are very few people in my life, just in 40 years that I've experienced where I just have a distinct dislike for them. Like most people, even before I started studying Buddhism, I could find something to resonate with something that resonated with me, something to connect it some way to, to wish them well. That's why Carl Rogers work spoke to me so much, Hmm. um, and speaks to me so much, but there've been two or three people where it's just like, I just don't like this person. i you know, I don't want to say hate that person, but you know, like I just really have a very conflicted, horrible relationship with and and one of those people and and it's like the entire relationship is characterized by that. There's not been times when it's not been that, right? Mm-hmm. like, um which is weird uh, for me. I had one of those types of people kind of pop into my brain today, and the thought that I had was, you know, I wonder what their life was like to to really create the climate that they mm. came up mm. in right like for them to be so angry it must have been really hard like something bad must have happened for them to 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 be this way and i've never had that thought when it came to that person before yeah. and it changed my relationship with that person i'm i'm probably never going to speak to that person you know or at least not for for a very long time i don't have any reason to yeah because they're they're not in my life um but to kind of have the idea of wow you know, like I can't remember a time when I've had, you know, a positive exchange with this person, Yeah, you know, really. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, um, um, yeah, very Buddhist there and lessons that applied would take you to that. I mean, same with me. Um,
0: but by, by doing it, by reading it and by just kind of stewing in it, you find that you, this stuff kind of grows like that just kind of sprouted up. And it's like, well, hey, I'm glad that I have that feeling. Yeah, like my relationship with that person is permanently changed. I think
1: it's kind of a kind of an emotional, maybe even spiritual release to not carry that negativity toward them. And same same for me. And uh, I remember a uh, practitioner who came and presented a temple, uh, the the venerable Panadipa, and uh, he, it was right at the beginning of the Hillary Trump first you know, the elections and he came into the room and he was one of those people that just radiated, you know, loving kindness, goodness. And um, he looked around at the audience and he said, we'll be okay if Trump wins and we'll be okay if Hillary wins. And so he starts this talk and he said, you know, think about it, if you're angry or holding disdain or whatever against whoever, they're not thinking about you. (laughs) In your life, so best to mm-hmm. you know dissolve that negativity and that anger because you're the one that suffers with it, and that was very, very uh, nudged me along, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, not there yet, but definitely appreciative. And this makes you appreciate to me, uh, Buddhist teachings and the path. I don't know if you got to the cornfield things on uh, delight and um, and rapture based on your practice. Have you? I've not. Yeah. Well, and other people teach about it too. We've just become cornfield fans, I guess. Well, uh, whatever. But yeah, he. Yeah, he talks. Yeah,
0: like, I've just been on a kick over the last few weeks. I think I'm gonna have to, to pick up some books. I also want to say, I feel like I disclosed something there, and, and I don't want people to think that I'm a hateful person. No, he's I'm not. Not. No. Um. And and this is a person that I have no interactions with, and actually, they probably don't know that I like. I just my way of handling it was to just not interact. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, you just don't. And so it's not like it's even a person that's in my world really.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I struggle with people in my world and grudges and all that. And, you know, part of, part of my, you know, I think psychotherapy can dovetail with Buddhist practice and that's kind of what happened to me in my twenties. But mm-hmm. it's like, you know, boy, you really do carry a grudge. And, uh, it, it's so far back. Nobody knows who I'm talking about. And, uh, that, that, the the mindfulness and then the Buddhist lessons melted that to a certain extent. I mean, there were family members I hadn't been around for, gosh, maybe even a decade when I finally moved back to Oklahoma, and I had a number of them like, "Whoa, you're different," and that that really set me back. I'm like, "Yeah, the practice does kind of melt away some of that."
0: But yeah, I want to thank everybody again for listening. Sorry for the delays. Uh, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, let us know why, and we'll appreciate the feedback.
1: <laughs> well, I, I get the sense we're breathing, breathing fire back into our talks because now I'm thinking of two or three things. I owe you. I owe. I owe one on. Uh, uh, I did get done over the over the last couple of months, but I'm going to get that one done. I'm. I mean, that's how this does. It feeds you, right? It motivates you. It's part of the delight of learning and being, yeah, on this path. So uh, I know. I know. I, th- I think we'll get a few more out sooner this time.
0: I, I hope so. And also, you know, like um, when we did that reaction podcast, I was pretty activated in, in talking about my experience going out to California and, and the idea of incomplete cycles of action. And and part of during the silent period of the podcast, um, I was kind of turning inward and doing and resolving cycles of action. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and so, you know, moving through some stuff in that regard and kind of saying, oh, this is something I need to to take action on. This is something I need to do. This is something I need to kind of put yeah. out into the universe and let us see what happens. And then and doing that, you know, that a person only has so much energy. And so that's where the energy went. But now things are resolved. And um, I, I do feel like it's time to kind of turn back towards study and and, and kind of integration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully we'll be doing some more of these podcasts. I would enjoy it.
1: Yeah, me too. Invigorates yeah. when we do this. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm okay well on that note i guess we can stop i feel like all i did was share personal stuff and not very much of uh substance but hopefully folks will get something good out of it (laughs) all right well thanks steve
1: yeah thank you